Hey Shannon, how's it going? It's good. Hey Julie. Good. Are you pumped? Today we get to talk about the topic that all women want to hear about, but none of us really actually like to talk about it. Yeah, definitely my least favorite topic, body image. <laughs> but I will say that I'm super stoked for our guest speaker. Me too. This week, Kathleen McQuarrie will be joining us to share her inspiring story about body image and remind all of us in that super powerful way that only she's capable of that we are enough worthy and loved regardless of the thoughts and those tricky relationships we may have with our bodies. Yeah, she's awesome. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, I know you and I both, you know, like every woman have had our struggles with body image, right? And in a previous episode on our podcast, I mentioned how my weight has always been the cause of my millions of paper cuts, quote unquote. You know, it's really hard to accept your weight when others criticize it or when you're told that your weight is unhealthy or unattractive or wrong. And it's really hard to accept your weight when everyone around you hates theirs or is trying the latest diet, or only shows the good and never the bad, or definitely doesn't talk about the bad. And, you know, it's really hard when your body insecurity moves from that insecurity into shame. You know, and I've spent so much of my life running from my weight, hiding behind jokes, trying to be one step ahead of everyone else's taunts or judgments. And that's just exhausting, you know? (laughs) And throughout my journey, I've learned that judgment and silence allows that shame to grow, but empathy and respect are what stop shame from taking over. And Mm -hmm. I think Zia has a really powerful story that definitely speaks to that too. Oh my goodness. Yes, I agree. And I'm, I'm so glad you brought up shame because I, I think that's a huge factor here. Shame is that little stinker butt that has too much of a role in our lives. And I'm really excited to, um, to hear Zia's perspective on that and, and to really uh, dive into that today. For me, my body image struggle has always been my face. <laughs> and I know that sounds super weird, but I've just always wanted to hide it. You know, I've struggled with acne for literal years and years and years and years. Um, And it's been so challenging. And like you said, it's been that shameful experience, especially when I'm constantly comparing myself to these other flawless women around me. This is sort of funny looking back on this. Not so funny at the time, but I even spent an entire summer uh, one year and I absolutely refused to leave the house. I did not go anywhere, hang out with any of my friends. I was dating someone at the time and I wouldn't even FaceTime him because my acne was so bad. So I guess in a sense, I was kind of preparing for quarantine, but um, (laughs) that shame, shame was pretty, pretty active there. Yeah. Yeah. And what a shame because your face brightens up my life. Um, Don't tell anybody I said that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've written it down. It's recorded. Uh, Anyways, but you know, it sounds like you, me, and so many other women, we need inspiration. And what better place to find that than from Zia? She's been there. She's done that. And she's definitely done it with a little grace, lots of prayer, and quite a bit of zing along the way. (laughs) 
Awesome. Well, we are just thrilled to welcome the one and only Kathleen McQuarrie, our Zia, to join us on the podcast today. Kathleen's been with us on our Girl Tech journey since the very beginning, um, officially since 2015 when she hosted her very first coffee house for over 60 plus college women. Um, But even before that, she was an absolutely incredibly influential woman for me in high school. Kathleen is a wife, a mother, a chef extraordinaire, and our longtime cheerleader. So thank you so much for joining us today, Kathleen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. And I have to say, I'm so proud of you, too. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You're welcome. Fun fact, I went to high school with Kathleen's two sons, Jack and Joe, and then Shannon and I both went to college with her son, Joe. So we have that fun connection, but even deeper, Kathleen and I had a cool relationship in high school. Do you want to tell them about that? Oh, you're doing great. You keep going. <laughs> no, you tell them. He's so supportive. So supportive. You're doing great. We There was a uh, group at our parish, and it was you know, mothers and daughters. And it, like I said, a safe place where the girls could share, where they would get an honest answer from an older person. And Julie and I were put together as like partners where we would do writing. I would write in the journal and share some things. And then she would write in the journal. And it was a really beautiful thing. And we became incredibly close. And mm-hmm. that's the best thing about, I think, my relationship with Julie and with you too, Shannon. We don't have to see each other every day or talk all the time. But whenever we're together, we always pick up like it was two days before. And I love that. And I think that's the sign of a really good friendship. Hmm. Same, same here. And we're so grateful for that. And I'm so grateful we started that journal and that relationship because it's really helped carry me through for, for years now. Um, so we've kind of, we've kind of had you all to ourselves for a couple of years. So could you share with our listeners now? I mean, tell us a little bit about yourself. What does Zia mean? And just tell us about the wonderful you. Oh, well, well, let me start with Zia. Zia means aunt in Italian, and it's a term of endearment. For the Girl Talk community, I wanted to be that aunt, that Zia, that you know you can speak freely with, who will listen to you without any judgments, and share those essential life experiences and all the lessons I learned from them. (laughs) And let's see, about me, I met my husband in college, and we were married after I graduated from Rutgers University, which was about... 35 years ago, um, I worked in public relations for five years before I stayed home full-time to raise my four children. And now that they're adults, I currently work part-time for a medical practice. It's mostly geriatric patients, and they are absolutely adorable, and I enjoy them so much. (laughs) And I love to read, and I really love to write. I think it's very important to get the thoughts in your head down on paper. And so one day you will both get an autographed copy of my memoir. (laughs) And cooking is another great passion of mine. I believe food is love. And I will never, ever turn down a glass of good white wine. And I strive to live by the motto, do small things with great love. I really want my... um, autograph copy of your memoir to not only be autographed but I want like a little like red lipstick kiss in it too with like <laughs> oh, you got of your Dolce and Cabana perfume <laughs> that's what I really want just letting you know 
I want a chapter dedicated to me and Shannon, please and thank you. Oh, you'd have a whole that'd be more than a chapter because this is how it all started. Oh my goodness gracious. Well, speaking of Speaking of a good white wine, I hope I'm not breaking any podcast rules here, but I will say Shannon and I usually uh, record with a a nice cup of coffee uh, back and forth, but today we are definitely drinking white wine on the podcast. (laughs) Don't tell anybody. But you're with your Zia, so it's okay. Exactly. Exactly. It's all about. It's all about. But uh, Zia, we invited you here today because Julie and I have heard your story several times and every time we're moved, you know, it's the type of story that just sticks with you and hits you harder every time you hear it. And we didn't think it was right to not share that with the girl talk community. (laughs) We need you. These girls need you. Moms, daughters, we all need you. You know, Julie and I have run into personal doubt and loneliness and insecurity. um, Even as we mentioned earlier in this episode, but you know, we've all had those bad days where we don't feel ourselves, but we need that inspiration and we need help emerging from those dark moments. And we really think that you can help us and our community in doing that. So what do you think? Should we have some table talk like you like to put it? Yes. I love that phrase table talk. And I always said that you know, but I'm at my girl talk talks. You know, it's table talk <laughs> that there's nothing you can't say, no judgments, and what talk gets talked around the table stays at the table. It was a well, phrase I had used with my kids growing up, and so it was. Um, I just think it's a good uh, a good way to explain and a good way to make us all feel safe in sharing our really very private thoughts and personal reflections. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. Well, Love thank you. you for that, and let's let's talk. So. Could you share just a little bit of your story with us? I mean, today we're talking about body image. So, I mean, do you remember um, when negative thoughts started for you about your body and and what was that like? Mm. My struggle started way too early. I've battled with my body my entire life. I have obsessed over food. I've counted calories. I've monitored everything that goes into my mouth for the past 43 years. That's a long time. Now, I started my cycles at 11, and I developed very rapidly. And I had a mom who was very weight and image conscious and totally focused on my appearance. I was 12 when I was put on my first diet. 12. Mom would oversee my food, and she would watch me. And it was humiliating. And I was so ashamed. Now, my mom is a tallish, very slim woman. My sister's skinny minis, and I mean skinny. Here I was, fully developed, looking way older than a 12-year-old. <laughs> my mom would pat my trouble spots. She'd shake her head. She'd talk about sending me to the diet doctor. The self-hatred and shame about my appearance spilled over into every nook and cranny of me. The incredibly sad thing is, when I look back at pictures of me, I wasn't overweight at all. Not even plump. I saw myself through someone else's mirror. I absorbed other people's view of me. My mom projected her weight obsession and control issues onto me, and I scooped them right up. Hmm. When you said that your first diet was when you were 12, like I'm pretty sure my first diet when I was eight. (laughs) And I feel like when you're put on a diet, it's 
especially if it's controlled by a parent, is like, am I too much to love? Like, am I not enough for you? Yes, that's exactly it. Because then you feel that you have to make yourself less than. Right. And I think that's what's really tough. But what we're trying to do basically is you're trying to square that circle and they're, or they're trying to square it. And and yeah. I do want to preface that, you know, I know parents, I think we're much more evolved today. And, you know, my parents were young when they had me and stuff. So I, I don't want to be, you know, one of those, well, my mother did this to me and that to me, you know, I, and I don't mean it that I, I really, I, I try not to dwell on that. I try to move yeah. past that. But a fact is also a fact, you know, and right. it wasn't how you looked was how you were judged. And it was, you know, a yep, very, yeah. a very tough thing. Cause here I was, like I said, I'm, I have two sisters and they were these tiny little things. And then there was me and it was just, it was just tough, you know? And, and like I said, it was just the shame. It just, it, it, it just stayed with me. It carried, it just, it just, it was my, it was my constant companion. Yeah. Right. Right. And even for the sheer fact of just being different, right? Like you were saying, like your Absolutely. sisters are getting minis, right? And it's like, why am I not the same as they are? And, and what's wrong with me that I look different? And I think we could take that in so many different directions where we do feel shame in our lives because we're not the same kind of cookie cutter version of someone else in our lives. Exactly. Yeah. That is very true. And I think, like you said, it's just like, what, what was it with me? And I had you know, I, I had a mom who had her own issues and stuff. So it made it a little bit, there was like another added layer to it. And I think yeah. that's what in the end probably caused my eating issues to, it really exacerbated those issues. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, we've all kind of just used that word shame several times within <laughs> just a few sentences. Shame's hugely powerful, right? It's not that, you know, you did something bad. It's more of that I feel like I am bad. And you know, Zia, like when did your body insecurity and uncomfortability move into shame? When did it become a serious problem? Like when did you, you know, well, really start to get affected? I will tell you, my, I, I had, um, I've had two episodes of anorexia in my life. Now my, my first bout of anorexia happened during my senior year in high school. I was responsible for financing my own education. I was working all the time. I was just so stressed over the whole college thing. And I felt so alone and overwhelmed. And the thing about eating disorders, they are not about food. They are about control. What I put into my mouth and how much I exercised were the only parts of my life that I could control. Now, when I settled into college, felt a little more in control, I slowly put on a few pounds, but that obsession never left me. I still carted my spin bike home with me on breaks and it lived in the hall at my dorm. Rather, I lived on it at the hall of my dorm. <laughs> I used a little book to record my daily calorie intake. And every single day I lived and died by the scale. Skinny day was a good day. A fat day was simply unbearable. And I still remember this one particular day. I was feeling especially fat and I was just so upset. So I took nighttime cold medicine all day long, just so I would sleep and not eat. It was as if I wanted to erase the day. Now I did try talking to a counselor at college, but I felt like she just didn't get me. You know, I looked reasonably healthy on the outside, but on the inside, it was a different story. I was just so hungry for acceptance and approval, constantly feeling like I wasn't enough. When I was really skinny, I got approval, especially from my mom. I lived for other people's approval. And I hated myself for it. 
Now, my next episode of anorexia came after 9-11, and it was much more serious. My husband worked in the trade centers, and he made it home that day, thank God. But it was a very, very, it was one of the darkest days of my life. That's the only way I can describe it. But it it, it triggered a downward spiral for me. Yeah, yeah. Now, at the time, our kids were young. They were five, seven, eight, ten, you know. And my husband had his own issues. He was struggling with some unspeakable losses in his life. I was so worried about him. So on the outside, I was the strong, capable partner who was holding everyone up. Inside, I was dying. I was literally dying. Eating and working out were all I could control. I would walk 12 to 15 miles each day on my treadmill in the basement. And I would aim for 70 miles a week. Now, if I fell short of this ridiculous number, I would punish myself further and I wouldn't permit myself to eat. When I did eat, I would allow myself 600 calories per day. When the hunger became unbearable, I would make the food, I would chew it, and then spit it out. And on top of the treadmill, I'd hit the gym and I would do hard weights five, six days a week. I would look in the mirror every day and I'd say over and over, I hate you. I hate you. And now just to give you some perspective, I am 5'3". And at the time this started, I weighed about 120 pounds. I lost about 30 pounds. My period stopped. My hair fell out. My skin actually looked gray. And I'm thinking I could work even harder and lose a little more. And then maybe I would somehow feel better. And I have this one day that haunts me. I was a wreck. House was crazy. I was in the basement on my 18th month. Didn't matter that my life was in chaos, that I was totally checked out with my kids. All that mattered were those 18 miles. And I remember feeling just so incredibly sad that I have to do this for the rest of my life, that I would never be able to eat a real meal again. I was so desperately hungry. I remember I just broke down and cried. Hungry, familiar word? Well, right after that, my sister-in-law had an intervention. And I believe she really saved my life. She came over. She physically pulled me off that treadmill. She sat me down and she said she was not leaving until we made an appointment that day to see a doctor. She said, I love you like my own blood and I need you. I can't lose you. And I will say, I will never forget that day as long as I live. Because what I remember most is that she made me feel loved and worth fighting for. Well, we went to the doctors and all I could do was cry. He did assess my physical damage, but then he did something really important. He set me up with an eating disorder specialist. And I think that was invaluable to me. I just have to take a minute. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. I've, I've heard you tell this story so many times and... You never can stop the tears. Why do you um, do it? <laughs> oh my goodness. It's there's there's so much, so much power and beauty and impact in this story and and heartbreak. I mean, I'm listening to you, this woman that I love and look up to and I'm 
hearing, you know, I looked in the mirror and I said, I hate myself, you know, and, and to hear you say that your sister-in-law came and caught you from that treadmill when you felt like you were literally dying and she told you how much she loved you. I mean, those words actually have always been on repeat for me. You know, I, I love you like my own blood. Um, I mean, yes, well, I what will tell I- you, I'm very, very blessed. Um, my husband has <laughs> seven kids and I have just terrific sister-in-laws and they're not my sister-in-laws. One of them had said once, you know what, after all these years, there's no more in-laws. We're all brothers. And, sisters. <laughs> and I love that. But I will say my sister-in-law, Carrie, is, she is my sister. She is mm. one of my best friends. She is, I, I just, I, I, I can't find the words. I have to say, cause I, she's just, she's just really special. Amazing. Amazing. What would you say, you know, so many of us are trying to be like your sister-in-law for other people. Um, and, you know, we have friends who are just like you. And even if it isn't an eating disorder, it's, you know, they are insecure because of the color of their skin or they hate themselves because of their family dynamic or they feel like they're the most unsmart girl in their class. Like for all those girls, you know, how can we be like a sister-in-law to them? You know, how can we be better women for those women around us? I would say show up and stay. Be their safe person. Tell them, I love you. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. You may not love yourself right now, but that's okay. I can love you enough for the both of us. Now for me, her expression of unconditional love was something I desperately needed. And it was exactly what I needed to hear too. Yeah. Well, I think that's so powerful too. And it's so interesting because, you know, earlier you were sharing just about approval, right? You were, you were desperately looking for approval. And I think that's something we can all relate to, you know, whether it's approval from friends or family or a guy or whoever in our lives, we're seeking that. And it's, and, and I, it sounded in your story, like that just kind of took over, right? Like that, that kind of got lost. You were seeking approval and then, and then it was just about that control. But it sounds like your sister, your sister-in-law, your sister went, went beyond that, beyond approval and just said, I just love you. And I'm just going to shower you in that love, whether you like it or not, because I can't live without you. And it, that's so powerful. And I'm going to help you through this. And, and I think yeah. that was it. And, and it was the best way I can describe it. I felt like I was throwing a life raft. I mm. was literally drowning. And I didn't know how to save myself. Now yeah. with Carrie, my sister-in-law, I felt like she was saying to me, I got you. You rest. I will steer this boat. I will get you to safety. Yeah. At a time in my life that I was at my very lowest, she showed up. And even more important, she stayed. Yeah. I don't think I can ever put into words what that meant to me, what she means to me. Yeah. Zia, can you can you talk a little bit more about that feeling? Um, you also brought up the word hungry, right? Sound familiar. Can you, can you just describe that a little bit more for us? Like what, what did the word hungry mean for you in this experience or, or what does it mean to you now? 
Well, you know, I, I guess, like I said, I always felt like I was this hungry girl, you know, just please, uh, please accept me the way I am. Please, I'm okay. I'm, I'm a good person. I'm, a, you know, and it was always, <clears throat> if I behaved a certain way, if I acted a certain or if I just, I, I, I just was always so hungry for approval. And I think that, I don't know if it's something that's in our DNA. I don't know if it's how we're raised, but that was something with me. I am a people pleaser. I need gold stars. I, and I fully admit that, you know, and, and yeah. that's where, but at a, as a child, as a young teen, I couldn't put words to the feelings. You see, now mm -hmm. you can say, okay, I need gold stars. That's the kind of personality I have. So that's right. okay. I can learn how to manage it and I can learn how to take certain steps so I can keep that monster down a little bit. But I didn't yeah. know that. You know, and I didn't have that perspective. And yeah. I think that was it. I was just hungry for love, for approval, as so many of us are, you know, and self-approval. Sometimes we're, yeah. we don't allow ourselves to be loved by ourselves, by us, you know, yeah. because yeah, don't get ahead of yourself. And, you know, you don't want to get too big of a head and, you know, just, you know, we're, we're taught, we're sent so many mixed messages, you know, we're supposed to be empowered, but then we're supposed to be, you know, very uh, modest. Uh, we are supposed to be self-confident, but then we are not supposed to say too much because we don't want to, you know, so it's like all these conflicting messages. And I think that's really hard. And I, and I think that's one of the things that I learned through this thing was I, I'm going to just be me. And, and once I got to the other side of this and I had some amazing therapy, amazing. And I think that was, it was like I said, invaluable, but I tell you, my therapist gave me such valuable insight and perspective that <clears throat> I call her Dr. Eating Lady. <laughs> and she said it. some really important things and I still refer to them today. Ooh, give us your wisdom. What would she say? Well, like, there are times when we have to tolerate discomfort. We have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. We have to ride the wave. Look, bad, weird, uncomfortable feelings. They're going to appear in our lives. That's what life is. <laughs> we all have something, issue and insecurity, whatever. And if we don't address it, it will show up in unhealthy ways. Mm. Now, mine manifested in an eating issue. We can't keep denying our feelings, pushing them away, stuffing them down, spitting them out, running away from them like I was trying to do on that dang treadmill. <laughs> you can only hold your breath underwater for so long. You can deal with the painful stuff and hurt now, or you can push it away and hurt later. But you will have to deal with it eventually. Like this is an example. I would always say I feel fat, but I've learned fat is not a feeling. What are you feeling? Scared? Lonely? Overwhelmed? Inadequate? But we have to feel those feelings in order to work our way through to the other side. And we build emotional strength by feeling different feelings. I was starving myself. I starved my feelings. I starved my fear and my anger. And most of all, I starved my neediness. I hated being needy. Mm. I thought I could kill my neediness by starving it right out of me. Because if I really let myself feel all these feelings that were coursing through me, oh, it would just hurt too much. Mm. My crazy eating and working out, it was the perfect distraction from all that pain. And that mm -hmm. pain was literally consuming me. 
I had a tremendous need to feel special and valuable to people because that need was never filled in me. But don't deny what you need. We need what we need. <laughs> be honest in defining that need and don't be afraid of it because that's the very thing that will make you whole. And it's scary. <laughs> yeah. Deal with all that space where the need was. We got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Ride that wave till it passes. It will pass. Think about what you want to put in that space instead. So good. So good. So powerful. And that that phrase, ride the wave, that, you know, again, you've said it forever. And it's it, it really has come into my head when I'm frustrated, when I'm overwhelmed, lonely, scared. Like, I'll come home. I'll come home after, you know, uh, just a night or hanging out with friends or something where I just, I felt not myself, you know, and I hear that phrase, you know, ride the wave, you know, and, and Julie, like, what are you actually feeling here? I'm so frustrated, but I have to like work it out and realize like, okay, do I feel lonely? Do I feel like my friend isn't hearing me? Am I mad at her? You know, what's the actual feeling? And, and I thank you for that. Or am I mad at myself? Am I mad at myself? Yeah. I didn't respond in a way that was my truth. Yes. Yes. Totally. I think the issue is like, we all long for like satisfaction, right? Whether it's satisfaction with ourselves or satisfaction with others. Mm -hmm. And like, that's not possible. (laughs) Like for me personally, the only thing that is fully satisfying is, you know, faith or God. And, you know, I think that's really hard when it comes down to body image because, Mm -hmm we want that neediness to go away and we want to look perfect and we want to be perfect for other people. I don't know. I think it's really awesome in the way that you said, like, you know, think about what you would put in that place instead, that place where you feel unsatisfied. And I think it's really interesting to think of like, what would those things be or what can we seek? Who can we talk to? Where can we go? how do we actually do the nitty gritty and start loving ourselves, you know? Yes. I think that's really important that you say that and you have to do the work. And I think so many times we're, you know, well, if we just, you know, uh, follow the the plan and then we're going to be happy and it's going to be good. Well, you know, life happens and you're not going to get through life. You're not going to get through a rich full life without great highs and unspeakable losses and, beautiful moments. And that's just what life is. And we have to learn how to manage the parts that aren't all love, you know what I mean? You know, rainbows and whatever that phrase, you know, rainbows Rainbows and and butterflies. There you go. So (laughs) throw a couple unicorns in there. I don't know. I'm I'm not good with those quotes. All right. Oh yeah. No, no, no. (laughs) But this was also something too, that Dr. Eating Lady, she said this to me and and I never forgot it. And it's really helped me definitely moving forward in my life. You cannot have a corrective experience with a dysfunctional adult. And that one really helped me in dealing with my mom. I was never going to get that unconditional love and approval. I so craved from her. I had to accept that and move on. And I also learned this, a child will manipulate and play games, but an adult will be direct and ask for what they want and need. And if I was going to behave like an adult, I would need to be direct. And even though it would be uncomfortable at times, 
I had to acknowledge my needs. I had to own them. And I think that's where sometimes we have that conflict because we want to, we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, but we really want to say something. Well, (laughs) are you going to be a child or are you going to be a grown up? Yeah. And it's just, you you know, you choose and, and whatever choice you're okay with, because it's about you, it's not about anybody else. If you're okay with it. And that's where I wasn't okay with pushing myself down anymore to be someone else. And I've had to learn to accept some facts about myself that maybe aren't that pretty. Like, if I only get an eating disorder to disordered eating, maybe that's the best I'm going to get. Now, it's not perfect, but it's honest. And I think the honesty is what healed me. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's super powerful. And thinking about that whole idea of, you know, satisfaction and control and just being enough for ourselves or others. It's, it's so interesting, you know, at Girl Talk, we always say you are enough, you are worthy, you are loved. And that's so true, right? That is true for each of us, each and every single person. It's interesting though, that, that we're talking about those needs, like what are our needs? And you know, I, I just recently went through a just a tough experience with a friend and, and I remember like so badly like grabbing on to the friendship. And I was like, I need this, like I need us to fix this, I need us to get better, I need to know that I am enough for you, right? And I like was hanging on, I was gripping on for dear life, you know, with that sense of control. And it was funny, it wasn't until I had this kind of breakthrough moment of, you know what, I actually probably won't ever be enough for her in the sense that I will never be fully enough for anyone. Like you're saying, maybe maybe it's going from eating disorder to, to disordered eating. Like we're not going to be fully 100% perfect for anyone. We can't always satisfy those needs, you know? And Shannon, like you said earlier, like whether it's putting your faith in, in God or, or resting and, and just knowing Wherever I am right now, that's okay. And and resting in that truth to keep going and to keep getting better, but not to feel like we have to hit that 18th mile or we have to get to this unattainable goal that's just kind of killing us. Does that does that make any sense to you guys? It makes total sense because perfectly sense. It's also just that mentality. Like one day you're saying, I have to hit that 18th mile. And now the next day you're saying, I need a cure for anorexia. Like mm. you're carrying that same mentality. And I think that, you know, we have to almost like relearn the truth and somewhere in that, you know, puzzle in our brain, the truth is you are worthy. You are enough. You are loved. Whether you're on your 18th mile, your six mile mm. or, or, if no you're miles. With or, no miles. or no miles. Yeah. Like yeah. I think it's really hard to, you know, completely switch the way you think in those situations. And I think the answer really comes in, like, it's not a switch. It's like a gradual embrace of the truth, you know, kind of what Zia was just saying of, you know, it's honesty that healed her. Um, It wasn't a light switch that she just turned on and ta-da. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. It was a long, hard road, and I clawed my way through it. I really did because there were days when it was just, like I said, I I felt 
it was, and it's funny, but as we're talking about this and, and the thing is that I feel the shame, I almost, you know, I get a little emotional. It's, I was checked out on my family and I was, it was, it was, I look back and I, I still remember, you know, it's September 11th are hard there. That's a hard memory for my whole family, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many times I've said to my kids, I'm just so sorry. I'm just so sorry. You know, but again, that's the part where it's just life, you know, and we have to accept the journey. And I also believe this, and I'll just say this. I, I think God puts us exactly where we're supposed to be. And I learned a lot from my experience. I was in a dark hole, but wow, I learned a lot. And maybe that was the only way I could have learned it because I have a lot of life left to live. And, and this painful lesson did help me understand uh, why I was behaving the way I was or, and, and, and the, you know, how it happened. But now I've got a whole bunch of life ahead of me and I will not be making those mistakes again. And I will not be behaving that way again. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but you know, it's like, it's like sometimes we need to be shown something. And, yeah. and that's where, like I said, where you're at and, and like I said, even if you're in a black hole, it's like, okay, what is, what am I, what is this teaching me? Not why is this happening to me? What is this teaching me? And that's yeah. hard. Cause sometimes you're like, you know what? I don't want to be taught nothing. Okay. <laughs> just, just, just <laughs> enough, enough, you know? But I look from the other side of it and I, I've, I've learned so much and I, I think that's where something when I hear about anybody who's got an eating issue or anybody who's got, you know, maybe some issues with their mom. And I just want to wrap my arms around them and say, it's okay. Let me tell you everything I learned. This is why I need to write a book. So it can be like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I don't want to read it, but I'll make, I always say, I'm going to put all this stuff together. So even if my granddaughters read it one day, that'll be enough. (laughs) I love it. Just even, you know, taking your story as you continue to talk or even, you know how you just said, like, this all started with me and my mom. Um, I think what Julie and I are seeing more and more frequently, especially when we go into these schools, or honestly, when we just talk to young adults who are our age or young parents, heck, even more experienced parents, a lot of these like insecurities or the questioning of if they are enough, isn't necessarily coming from home. It's coming through other people, you know, it's coming from social media or the the comparison (laughs) game that happens at school or, you know, just, I don't look like her or, you know, I don't look like what's on TV. You, what would you say, you know, coming from your experience, what would you recommend for every woman who compares herself to others? Well, literally every single woman in the history of the universe has struggled with this (laughs) and myself very much included. Yes. I think you need to recognize the feelings. Like I think to me, if you can mention it, you can manage it. Hmm. You need to recognize the feeling, own it. But then you need to make a deliberate decision not to let it have power over you. Shift the focus to your strengths and qualities. I know you have them. And, you know, we're not allowed to talk about them, but I know you have them. But acknowledge the comparison you feel. Yes. But then also recognize your good stuff, what you bring to the party. And I also think we have to make an intentional choice to surround ourselves with positive things that uplift us. Social media, friends, the shows you watch. Stop torturing yourself. (laughs) Filter out. Unfollow the things that make you feel less than. 
Yes. And <laughs> I have to say, I love this phrase. Be unspeakably kind to yourself. We're just so hard on ourselves. But think of that little girl inside you. You give her a seat next to you, real close, right next to you. When you speak negatively to yourself, you're also speaking to her. Would you ever speak to a young child, one of your good friends, anyone, the way you speak to yourself? We need to give ourselves that same kindness that we give others. Every day, be unspeakably kind to you. Be gentle and loving with that little girl sitting right next to you. That's just like so sweet. <laughs> Man, hitting it home. Okay. I'm just like crying in my closet over this one. But doesn't it make you look at it differently? Yes. It does. So much. I can, like totally see my little eight-year-old self like. Mm-hmm you know, picking out my outfit for the first day of school and, you know, my clothes aren't coming off of the size small rack and, you know, what that conversation, what that narrative was in my head at eight years old Mm. and, Mm. you know, and now being in my late twenties, like I'm still having that conversation with myself, but uh, I don't know. But it's I just... think too, Shannon, you say you're having that conversation with yourself, but I think that's what it is. Acknowledge that. You know what? This is going to be a struggle my whole life. I'm going to struggle with okay. this, you know, but now that you know it, it's kind of like that elephant in the room. Okay. So now you're going to take it and then you're just going to put it off to the side and say, okay, you're going to live with me. All right. We're going to figure out a way to live together. Okay. Cause you're <laughs> really big and you're really sloppy and I don't have enough room in my bedroom for both of us, you know, <laughs> or living room, whatever. I, I'm just saying, you know, but I think, if yeah. you, I think that's Part of the, I think it's a, it's a huge part. Like I said, you mention it, you can manage it. Once you give a name to this stuff, once you say, you know what, this is what's really bugging me. It's this. I think then you can learn or uh, not learn. I think you can then find uh, the, a way to manage it the best way for you, because how you manage it may be different than someone else. And we have to understand that. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny when you say, you know, be gentle and loving with that little girl sitting next to you, the little girl inside of you. It's, it's so neat having this privilege of having nieces. And I immediately think of my sweet little nieces, Gracie and Matea. And it's been so fun just kind of watching them grow up. And they're seven and five right now. And, you know, every time we get together, their favorite favorite, favorite, favorite thing of all time. First, it was nails, painting nails. And now they love to do makeup, right? So they're like, Aunt Julie, can you bring over your makeup? Can we see what's inside your makeup bag? You know, can you do our makeup for us? And so we'll sit there and we sit down on their little couches and, you know, they take out the blush and they take out, you know, the lipstick and they just, they love it. It's their favorite game. And it's it's great. It's great. And Julie, you know, you mentioned about how like you didn't want to go outside for a summer. Say to right. your nieces, oh, you ain't going nowhere. You ain't doing nothing. This is <laughs> you're not good enough, baby. It ain't happening. Right? Absolutely not. I would never say that to them. And they are gorgeous. They're these little girls, and I'm just looking at them in awe. Like you are perfect. And yeah, we're playing with makeup, but it's become so conscious in my head. Like you don't need this. You do not need this to cover anything up because you are absolutely, absolutely beautiful, just the way you are. Yeah, Julie. Yeah, 
just the way just you the are. Way you are. I'm <laughs> talking to you, Julie, right now, and you, Shannon. You guys are perfect and wonderful and exactly what you are supposed to be and who you are supposed to be, just exactly the way you are. And, you know, Shannon, you've mentioned shame before, and I, and I, I always sometimes look at shame like this. It's like that tennis ball, you know? And just because somebody's throwing it at you doesn't mean you got to catch it. Mm. You know, you think of that tennis match, you know, you, they, they're hitting it at you and then you try to deflect and then they're hitting at you again. Let the ball drop. Game over. I'm not doing it. I'm not playing. I'm not playing the shame game. Not doing it. Mm. Wow. And I know it takes courage and it's hard. Like that was a hard thing for me to finally say, you know what? Enough. I am not doing this. You know, I am. I may not be someone else's version of whatever. I may not be someone else's version of ideal, but I am exactly where I'm supposed to be and who I'm supposed to be. It's like the tennis match, you know, let that ball drop, you know, don't play this game. And, and we have absolute power to stop playing the game whenever we want. And I think that's a lot of it. We're always giving somebody else control over us. We're handing over and saying, okay, here, you tell me, you know, what I'm supposed to look like and how I'm supposed to be. And if I, you know, you know, take that power back. Uh, excuse me. I'm sorry. That's mine. That's, that's mine. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, it's like you, you said, it's all, it's all about that control, but this is, this is a healthy sense of control. Like, right. We do have power over our thoughts and actions. And I love that example. Game over. We're, we're actually in charge of this. I think I love what you were just saying about, you know, like we have full control to, end the shame game. We can stop playing in the tennis match of shame. I love those like practical, tangible, you know, takeaways or tips. And I think women want to be gentle and intentional with ourselves, but I think that just sounds like such a huge task to under, like to conquer. What would you say are practical and tangible ways that you know, we can be gentle, intentional with ourselves, especially with our bodies. Well, besides being unspeakably kind, I, I, I am a big believer in self-care. I really think it's important. You know, that whole put the oxygen mask on first so you can save someone else. You cannot, you cannot pour from an empty vessel. And it's just, it, that, and to me, that's just a fact. You cannot pour from an empty vessel. So take care of yourself. I'm a big believer in the self-care. I think it's very important to set aside some time to do something for you. Like that crazy foot peel that's on Amazon. I've been seeing things or, <laughs> you know, a great bubble bath with wine and candles and a face mask and some music. And I think these little indulgences go a long way in soothing the soul as well as the body. We have to nurture our souls as well as our bodies. And now, personally, I do love yoga. I think it has a very calming effect. And you both know how high strung I can be. So <laughs> that's where yoga has been really good for me. And again, that's that self-care. And again, we deserve it. It's okay. It's okay to be nice to ourselves, you know? And I, I just think that that's where we need to, we got to reset the clock. You know, you're not, we're not, we're not going to, you can't change that programming that's in your brain. That eight-year-old girl who was put on that diet, you got to cut those wires. You got to cut that, those computer wires and, and reset and reprogram. But in a way that what, what works best for me, if I could do it over again, what would I do? 
And I know you said, Shannon, but you're 20-something, and this happened when you're eight. But you're 20-something. You have a lot of life left to live. Julie, you guys got a lot of life. So figure out how you want to be and work backwards from there. You know, like when I'm at this age, I want to be here. And and mm-hmm. what steps can I do to get there? Yeah. There's, there's a lot of life to live. There's a lot for you to do to be pigeonholed and stifled by these really small um, thoughts. These are tiny. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I, and I like that. I like that practical perspective that you're saying to reset. And that's, it's very hopeful, right? You're saying we got a lot of life left. I love that. It's so good. You know, it's so true. It's so true. And I think sometimes we look and we're like, oh my God, where do I go from here? But there's a lot of life left. There's a lot, there's, there's a lot of places to go from here. Yeah. Yeah. And that same vein, I'm, I feel, I feel hungry. I feel hungry for more like practical, just, you know, we're, we're in our twenties. So many of the, these women listening are either right, right below us or right above us in age and experience. And, you know, (laughs) Kathleen, you're, you're going through a wedding season in your family right now. I have a roommate getting married. My best friend just got married. I have, you know, we have so many weddings and so many like just life things happening where we want to look good. Right. So what would your, what would your advice be, I guess, in like a practical everyday, situation or, you know, if there's a wedding or a big event or I want to look good for my birthday or whatever the case may be, like we all are still seeking that approval, right? Like it feels nice to be admired and, you know, we love to affirm one another as women, right? Like, oh, you look great. Like look at your shoulders. Have you been working out? Like what's going on here? And it's, that's like uplifting. So I guess my question is, um, what, what would you say is that like healthy line, you know, between actually being healthy and striving for things that are good for us versus uh, something that could lead to a downward spiral with our body image? It's a very good question, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> I think like when you talk about approval, I think at the end of the day, we need to have the self-approval, you know, and, and like I said, in our heads, we're our own worst enemies. This is something like, for me, I've always, and it's funny, you talk about wedding season. I've had a son who's had his wedding postponed three times mm-hmm. and I've gone through two dresses. I've gone through foundation <laughs> garments. I've gone through, and it's funny because it, the original wedding date was supposed to be in August and I'm very self-conscious about my arms. You know, I got these Italian mama del grandma arms and then <laughs> I, and I'm, I'm trying, I'm working and I'm going to bed hungry and I'm thinking I'm not going down this road again. I've been down this rabbit hole. It's not happening. Yeah. yeah. And then you say, you know what? I am just fine, just the way I am. And you know what? No, I am not perfect, but I am loved. I am respected. I have great friendships and a beautiful family. And that's enough. The size of my arms is not going to make or break me anymore. It's like you're taking back, take back your power. But wow, is that hard to do? Because then you get somewhere and then that other person like is just looking fabulous. And you're like, okay, why did I eat that last night? You know, and that's human nature, right? It's human nature. Yeah. But, but I think that's where, again, it's like that getting comfortable with who we are. It's not just getting, you know, comfortable with being uncomfortable, but it's being comfortable and accepting ourselves. And I think we're our own worst critics when it comes to that self-acceptance. Mm. I guess this is what the point I'm trying to make. I've earned my life. You know, like people say, you have wrinkles and I've earned my face. You know, I've earned that. My wish for young women is 
not to let all the outside appearance things affect your inside in a way that you are missing out on the really good things in life, the things that aren't, that, that are not tangible. Don't not go visit your friend and have this really good connective conversation because the genes are tight, you know? Yeah. Don't punish yourself in that way where, you're, you know, God, you know, the hair, it's driving me crazy. I can never get it to work. And so, so you know what? I'm not going to dance at the wedding. I'm just going to sit at the corner. I'm just going to sit at the corner <laughs> and try to disappear, you know? And I think that's where we need to accept our imperfections in a way that everybody's got them. This is a thing that I find so interesting with, with people. It's like, you know, you, you'll talk to friends and they'll be like, well, I just thought you were so perfect. And I just thought you had it all together. And they're like, oh, honey, like, no way. You know, like underneath, yeah. we're all the same. You know, we're, yeah. we're all the same. Yeah. So true. Shannon, are you still there? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Shan, take it away with the next question, girlfriend. Oh, my God. I am, like, sweating in this closet right now. Um, sorry. Let's see. What is – we only have one question left, right? Yeah. All right, Zia. Like you've said, you've earned your scars and – You've had one heck of an experience um, that didn't just haunt you once, but twice. And you've not only conquered it once, but twice, which I think is something that is should be hugely celebrated. Just, you know, overall, throughout this entire experience, what's one message that you hold really close to your heart that you would share with us today? Well, first, I want to say thank you for saying that. That's a very lovely, beautiful thing to say uh, that, that, you know, I conquered it twice, you know, and, and again, that goes back to my thing where it's just life. You know, there's 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 a lot of things we're going to have to conquer more more than once. Um, and so don't get discouraged. But to answer your question, I would say that. Just remember, like the one message that I hold close to my heart, I'm enough. I am enough for the people who love me. And that means enough for me. I am enough for me. You know, I have this plaque. It's, uh, and I keep it up by my bed and I read it every single morning. And it says, start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. It will be enough. I love that. I love that quote. And it, it goes back to what we were saying earlier, just be okay with where we are, you know, start where you are. We don't, we don't have to be that perfect model. And when I say model, I don't mean just model in a magazine, but that perfect model of whoever we think we should be. Yeah. That was an algorithm or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. It will be enough. I love that Zia. Thank you. Thank you for all these words. You are (laughs) most welcome. So if you know of anybody who really, who, who needs a Zia, you let me know, okay? <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story, your experiences, your heart with us. I mean, again, Shannon and I have been so privileged over the years to have have those intimate wine nights with you and to just share and be vulnerable and, and hear your story and hear what you've gone through and Thank you for just opening up and sharing that gift with all of us today. I mean, this is, it's really incredible that you, you do open up. So we just want to say thank you for this, the beautiful gift of you. Yes. Thank you. 
Well, I thank you both. I love you both. And it's been an honor and a privilege. And I think that what you two are doing in trying to be a resource for young women, I think that's a real vocation. If I had something like this when I was younger, I don't know if I would have gone through what I've gone through. And I thank you all from the bottom of my heart for letting me share. Thank you. It's always nice to have you talk at our table. We love table talk with you. And it's better when we talk about things about like worthy and respectfulness and what it means to love ourselves, regardless of our unique body shape, sizes, whatever. So thank you. Mm, I love it. Zia, we want to hold you and put you in our pockets and keep you for wine nights every day. But in the meantime, we're just going to have to re-listen to this episode over and over and over again to have you. And we do look forward to having you back. And I hope we all can look forward. We, uh, we're going to talk soon with Zia about the uh, always tough but very wonderful topic of forgiveness. Oh. So <laughs> we can't wait to have you back. Thank you both so much. I love you both. Yes. So proud of you. Love you too. Thank you so much. And for all of you listening, thank you for being part of this conversation with us. Uh, We want to keep you in the loop. Thank you for being part of Love Girl Talk. Feel free to comment on our podcast episodes. Uh, To learn more about Girl Talk, you can visit our website at ourgirltalk.org. Feel free to check out the Coffeehouse community there, a place for you to build community, have this deeper conversation, and grow personally and professionally. Of course, you can follow us on Instagram at Our Girl Talk. And then if you have comments, topics you want us to talk about, questions, go ahead and email us at info at ourgirltalk.org. Wow. What a week of talking about my least favorite topic, <laughs> but with a great guest. So I hope you all had a great time. I hope that you all have a go into a great week and, you know, take a step closer um, towards that healing that we need. And hopefully tomorrow will be good. And hopefully we'll be better on ourselves. Awesome. And remember, no matter what experiences we've been through, what we're going through now with our bodies or our hearts or the way we think about ourselves, we are enough. We are worthy. We are loved. Love, Girl Talk.